Welcome to the More Than Corporate Podcast. I'm Amber Furman, recovering perfectionist and serial accomplisher. If you're anything like I used to be, you've been living your life thinking that if you accomplish enough stuff, you'll finally find the success you've always wanted. But what if it's not about accomplishing more stuff? What if it's about accomplishing the right stuff? I believe you don't find success. You create it by intentionally designing the life you want and having the courage to get out of your comfort zone to live your design. I went from doing what I was supposed to do to doing what I love to do, and now I get to help others do the same. Keep listening as I chat with inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day and learn how you too can live the life you've always wanted. When I started this podcast back in August of 2019, I didn't know what to expect. I promised myself I would go for two years. I promised myself that I would release two episodes per year. I never imagined the personal growth that I would have through the people that I get to talk to. And there's no way that I could highlight every single one of them. But on today's episode, what I wanted to do was share a few of my favorite moments. I hope you enjoy. Episode 247, The Power of Being Human with Dr. Fred Moss. You know, there's something that you said that Mm -hmm. is really telling and something we don't talk about very often, and that's practicing to be a nomad. I Mm. feel like people think um, that the nomadic life and this really applies to everything that we do is just something that people pick up and they leave and and they figure it out and it's perfect. And, and it really does take practice to figure out how you're going to fulfill your responsibilities, what you want your responsibilities to be Mm -hmm. and, and what life looks like. I think it's really interesting that you phrased it that way. Well, it's, it's just something, you know, it takes, it does take time and energy. I, I miss the lifestyle to some degree, but now that I have an actual place that I love and, you know, I've a little bit of a, put a stake here. I don't miss traveling as much as I thought I would. Um, you know, I was a locum tenens as a physician, which meant that I was being hired to fill in gaps around the country of people, you know, places and uh, that needed a physician to step in for a while. Um, and that allowed me to see many, many of the different rural and suburban and urban areas um, as I wished. Wherever I wanted to go, all I had to do was sort of apply for the job, make sure my license was intact and uh, move to those spaces. So I got to see a lot in America. And then when I launched, started launching into going to Europe and going to Israel and um, working from there as well, uh, that really led me to realize that I'm really just a world citizen. Like anything else named moss, you know, a rolling stone gathers no moss (laughs) and there's uh, no no point in me slowing down is how I lived life. But these days, I really like that I have a place to live and an actual address to call my own. I bet. I bet. What is it like in the medical field? I'm an attorney. And so, you know, if I was to go state to state, I'd get in big trouble. Um, Do you have to be licensed statewide? And Mm -hmm. do you have like reciprocity? Do they do they just waive you in for that? Or do you have to No reciprocity. No reciprocity. Yeah. Each and every state, just like lawyers. My son's a lawyer as well. In fact, I had a I had um, I'm, I'm an expert witness as well. So I uh, I had a, um, what do they call it? Uh, arbitration today that just got canceled this with this afternoon. So I'm excited about that. The case got continued, but, um, uh, I was fully prepared for it and prepaid for it. So that's great. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, the, um, next thing is, uh, you know, when you're a doctor, you, you, like I had licenses in my initial license was in Ohio and then it was Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, and Good Illinois. Lord. 
And then I got a license in California. And when I got my license in California, I started coming out here a little bit more often. My brother and sister live out here. And uh, not like I stayed with them, but it was re I like California. I have liked California my whole life. Um, and, uh, you know, I've had licenses in uh, Kentucky and North Carolina. And I can only really work in those states when I'm being a doctor. Um, now, sometimes, like with expert witness, for instance, uh, there's reciprocity there. So I don't always need a license in the state mm -hmm. to offer an opinion in Texas or something like that. What about the telehealth that you've gotten into, mm. which we'll get into a little bit more. So does telehealth go based on the license that you are physically in that state or the advice you're giving to the person who lives there? That's a little tricky of a question. So um, I bent those rules a little bit. I think that <laughs> I, I think that they, they really want you to be housed in the state that you're licensed while treating people in a state that they're that you're licensed in as well. So if I'm like theoretically, I should have if I'm going to live in California and work in Illinois, I should be licensed in both those states. But in reality, all I really need to be is licensed in the state for which my patient is in. OK, mm -hmm. so when I was working in Illinois, I've had many, many telehealth jobs in Illinois. I did that from around the world. I did that from Israel. I did that from. In fact, there are some cool stories about me being a telehealth psychiatrist. Um, you put having my laptop on an ironing board in the middle of the night, actually. Um, treating people in, in rural uh, southeastern Illinois. And I had a lot of fun actually being a psychiatrist uh, in other countries, living in other countries while still providing care to, uh, to the American population, uh, as long as I was licensed in the state where those facilities were. It makes sense to me because, I mean, that's part of the um, draw to telehealth. And, you know, we'll get into this a little bit more as far as the, the cages that we tend to create for ourselves through the degrees that we get. But you would think that, you know, that telehealth is appealing, at least in my mind, because you're not location dependent and you right. finally get to explore and, you know, live that life. So I'm glad that you found a way to make that work for you. Oh, yeah. I've been a telehealth specialist for, uh, you know, about 12 years now. I should say that I've stopped doing that. I, I no longer do that anymore because everyone else is doing it. And I decided I need to move on. So who I really am now is a transformational restorative coach, no longer practicing medicine conventionally at all. And I'm also proud to say that, uh, you know, it's no longer I no longer am stuck to having to do things the way that they're supposed to be done. Instead, I don't use my license. I don't you know, obviously, I don't use my license in any way or use my, um, let's say, my education in any way but to move the needle forward. But telehealth back in the day, when there was a choice of actually going to someone's office or being a telehealth provider, the initial boost of what telehealth was, especially in psychiatry, was extraordinary. I mean, all of a sudden, if you needed help from a, you know, from a psychiatrist who was well fit to handle whatever problem you were dealing with, all you had to do was just, you know, just like, de like, DM them and ask them to come on as a consult. And all of a sudden you've got the perfect doctor talking to you about your patient, even though they're 3000 miles away. And, um, you know, telehealth, uh, uh, as now everybody is pretty proficient these days, you know, given the circumstances, everyone's pretty proficient. Like you, you and I are doing right here. No one is shocked or uh, disturbed about coming online to actually have communications. But back in the day, it became my preferred way to do, um, 
to do any kind of psychiatric interventions. I used to tell people that if I would be given an opportunity to be in the same room with someone or put somebody else in the next room on a computer, I would absolutely put somebody else in the next room on a computer because all that happens is there's something called disinhibition and people start speaking their absolute mm -hmm. truth. They feel safe. They don't feel weird about being in the same room. And also when you're looking at a computer, you're not now these days we're changing a little bit, but you're not obvious. It's not obvious that people can see you as well as they can. Yeah. You feel like you're just talking to that person and they can't see every single blemish or every single blink or every single twist and turn. But um, so people are really all the garden gets dropped. And in, I can do work with like new patients when I was uh, when I was practicing psychiatry new patients, I could do three months worth of work in one visit with, with no problem because we would just be off and running sort of like me and you are now, let's face it, we're 13 minutes in or something like that. And yeah, we've already explored massive amounts of things that would not have occurred had you and I been in the same office. No way. Yeah. You know, it's interesting for me because I keep thinking back to my therapeutic experiences. And when I, um, made the choice. I'm going to take responsibility for that. I made the choice to seek therapy, but it was out of things that seemed like I did not have choices, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, it makes um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I get really frustrated side note really quick. I get really frustrated when I'm working with people and they tell me, well, I'm doing this because I don't have a choice. I'm like, look at all yeah. the amazing things you're doing. And they're like, well, I don't have a choice. And I'm like, well, you do. Cause there's this person on the corner that made the other choice that is living the life that you could have. So take responsibility for that. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I remember my experience with her and it was the first time that I had ever done any type of therapeutic healing at all. And I had a lot to heal <laughs> and, um, and it was probably a month in before I gave her a verbal apology. And she's like, what are you apologizing for? And I said, I've been wasting your time and mine. I'm finally ready to I couldn't, I, you know, kudos to that uh, preparation tactic. I think it's a great strategy. There's another strategy to take that's exactly the opposite that I think is at least equally as effective, which is to meet somebody just like your listeners are, you know, without being prepared mm -hmm. and just connect with that person as a human. Now, I, um, I had a, uh, we could, I don't even know what to call her. I'll call her a partner. You know, in fact, she just said, uh, she just texted me today. It'd be hilarious if she ever gets to watch this particular episode, but uh, we are a close partner. We we lived together for about three years and uh, she had a real famous dad, super famous, like everyone knows kind of guy. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and, uh, and when she was growing up, she, some super famous people hung out at her house, you know, like people like, oh, really? That, oh, yeah. Like every week they would come to her house. People that you really do know, I promise. <laughs> and, uh, and it would be, it was like, well, how'd you manage that? And what we've now joked around is you, you know, you just call them by their name and treat yes. them like they're human. That's all. So I don't really much. care if it's Jordan Peterson or Oprah Winfrey. It's like, how about if they come on my show, I treat them like a human. And then when I do that, I, you're right. I can read all Jordan's or Oprah's books and like be entirely ready for knowing where she wants to go and cleaning the edges for her so that she gets her absolute pathway to get to what the the goal that she's intending to go to, or I could just treat her like Oprah Winfrey, yeah. just a, a person over there. And there's some deep respect that comes from just catching up with somebody and being human with them. On both sides, right? Because For people sure. that are of that caliber of notoriety, 
they're not used to being treated like humans. That's anymore. right. That's right. So to be able to bring them back to a place yeah. where they can just have a conversation, that's a really interesting point of view that, yeah. you know, is the other side to that preparedness. And I think as um, I take this for granted and, and it's coming to me now that you're mentioning it as an attorney, I naturally do that because that's what I tell my clients to do, right? You have to talk to the judge like he knows nothing about your case. So I prep my clients for that, but I forget that not everybody has honed that skill. So then mm -hmm. they read a book and then they come into a conversation talking about the book and the listeners going, well, I haven't read this book. Why am I in this conversation? So. Right, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's interesting as you speak about law. And in fact, you know, I just told you I had a canceled arbitration for tonight that I'm so totally prepared for. I know every, <laughs> I know every single, you know, every single turn and twist of this particular case. And it was tonight wasn't the actual trial, but it was a MSG, you know, an MSG that an MSJ that needed to be dealt with. What's interesting inside the law field is that both things, and I think in our field too, in order to be effective, you have to have both ways. Number one, I had to be, I, I was going to, if I'm going to get grilled tonight by some sort of, you know, some sort of cross-examining person who's out there to make me uh, incompetent or out there to discredit me, and I, I better know every single detail of this thing, including every detail of the skeletons in my life, I should need to know everything uh, to be prepared that being pre not walking into an arbitration unprepared is not a good plan. I guess that's yeah. what I'm kind of saying, but I also accepted a new case today. I got a, you know, got a call from the outside. Uh, someone had a really interesting case that they want me to opine on. And, uh, you know, they want, and so, you know, four minutes after he called, I, or four minutes after he sent me an email, I called him and I'm like, yeah, that's me. And he asked me if I knew how to do this and that. And I said, yep, that's exactly what I do. And he said, okay, you're hired and send me your, and there was something about, you know, send me your, your schedule and your CV and we'll take care of it. And let's get started this week. I'm like, okay, thank you. And that conversation took about, I don't know, nine or 10 minutes, but was, I would say that the value of that conversation came entirely from just treating that person like a person, not even like a, a case I needed or a big old lawyer or anything like that. It was really just being human with the person. Yeah, this whole section of this podcast. Fred, it's been such an amazing conversation. Um, you know, there are few guests that I, I love every single one of my podcast episodes that I do, but there are a few that leave me feeling like it will transform not only my listener's life, but mine as well. And this is one of those. So thank oh, well, you for the last hour. Of course, my deep pleasure. I hear you. I respect that. I honor it and receive it. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. Absolutely. Have a fantastic day. Thanks. You too, Amber. Episode 245, Scaling Up with Nick Bradley. In terms of, you know, I, I think it's very easy to go out there and say, I'm going to solve problems and I'm going to make an impact. The mindset piece comes in your ability to be able to effectively understand your emotions, right? Understand and check your ego. Yeah. Um, those sort of things, which are they're very much about how you show up back to the whole idea of your identity, which then I think dictates whether you're going to be successful in that area or not. Yeah. I think that so much of this 
you know, we're in an, we're in a society right now where the word entrepreneur gets thrown around so much and it causes people to either say, Hey, that's not what I went through to become an entrepreneur or somebody to say, dude, you're really a business owner. But that mindset piece of just solving problems and that definition is incredibly powerful to allowing you to believe that that's who you are so that you can become that. Yeah. And I think entrepreneurship, you could also argue as a vehicle to the ultimate outcome. So people, you know, and again, this is my view of it, not to be judgmental about it, but people don't want to necessarily be entrepreneurs. They want to, they want to have the outcome of, of what entrepreneurial skill set and mindset can provide. Yeah. You know, back to I that agree. point of freedom. So whenever anybody mentions this, this freedom thing, I love this conversation because I get these flashbacks to when I started my business and my law firm. And I remember thinking my name's on the door. I have complete control over what happens. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And then I just sat in my office going, okay, but what do I do? Like what's next? <laughs> and so that, that, oh, yes. that idea of freedom was so powerful that I forgot that like if nobody's going to tell me what to do, I'm nobody. And then I'm just going to sit there and not pay my bills. And, and it, it was crazy. So I love this conversation of like freedom has a price, like everything has a price. Yeah, it does. And I mean, where I focus my time these days uh, is I focus on, on getting people to an exit in business. So I tend to work um, with businesses that are scaling rapidly. Um, and the ultimate goal is is an exit, which I'll define in two ways. So there's two ways of exiting a business, right? You can sell the business for what I call life-changing money, right? Um, or you can exit yourself from the business, but still own the business and sit on a beach somewhere and you know have a, an income coming in or dividends from the business. But you're ultimately not the person that's in the middle all the time. And of course, if, if either of those things aren't you know attractive to someone and you want to be <laughs> in the business running it all the time, great. But, you know, what I found to be true is you're not going to make serious money doing that. You're not going to build serious ability to be free, to live life on your terms if you're there. So you need to at least start with the end in mind. And a lot of people I find, you know, you asked the question earlier, what are some of the things people need to be thinking about or the mistakes that they are not considering when they start a business? I say, think about your exit now. Think about it at the beginning. Like, you know, what are you building this towards? And, and that will give you clarity of kind of what you're trying to achieve. It's, crazy because what I'm hearing you say is that when you're making these decisions, you need to separate the emotional reason that you're starting the business from the business outcome that you're going to get. Because I know like when I started my coaching business, the idea of thinking of an exit in mind for that, I, first of all, I didn't. And I love that you said that. But second of all, it's painful to almost think about that because you're growing it for a reason. So how do people commit to growing something and think about an exit at the same time? Well, you've got to, the way I describe this, um, and I wrote about this recently, as I said, if you're trying to fly a plane without a destination, you're going to end up somewhere and it may be where you want to be, or it may not. Like, let's be frank. You wouldn't, you know, usually just get into a plane and not know where you're going. Yeah. Okay, that doesn't, doesn't happen, right, does it? I mean, you know, <laughs> it might be exciting if you're going on a mystery flight or whatever else for once, but quite honestly, if you want to, you know, land in New York from London, you know, and you end up, I don't know, somewhere else, you're not going to be overly happy. So, so my view is you've got to have a destination, right, and you need to know your starting point, and then you need to go out there and build a stunning business. Yeah. Right? And not focus too much on the end game, but you need to know because – it's funny. I work, as I said, on exits. I get people to a point where they can sell their business for 
in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars, right? Like crazy things. More often than not, though, a life-changing exit for someone is into eight figures. So it's somewhere mm-hmm. in that 10 to 20 million. And, you know, if you've got 10 million in your bank account right now and you invested in a 7% Vanguard account or something like that, you'll make somewhere between 50 to $60,000 per month for the rest of your life. Okay. So that's, I mean, I don't know what you spend your money on, but I, that's pretty good income, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not chunk change. No, exactly. And, and, you know, creating that sort of exit is possible for a lot of people. You know, for most people who work, go into this world if they think about it. But the, the point I try and make here is, you know, have a think about what you're trying to do. It might, might not just be money, right? It might just be that you do want to change the world in some way. But I find that the people who focus on the money first have the cash flow and have the resources to go and make a bigger impact. And most wow. of the people that I've helped exit their business, I tell you what they do once they've got that first taste of financial freedom, they go on and, and become wealthier, but they also go on and make a bigger impact. Philanthropy and those sort of things become part of their psychology because they're not thinking about, oh, how am I going to pay for school fees or how am I going to do this? That yeah. whole decision process, that pain that people get, it leaves, it goes. And that's amazing. Yeah, I think this is a really important conversation because I think the idea of and and I'm not saying I disagree with this, but the Simon Sinek's start with why mentality, which is incredibly mm-hmm. powerful. But I think that that got taken and misunderstood to mean why is all that matters and then focus on that. And this idea of focusing on the money, it's one of those things that's so uncomfortable for us to talk about in most of our societal situations. And so being able to focus on the why seems like an easier thing to do. But being able to focus on the money is the more important because let's be real, we all need it. So I think it's synergetic. So let's let's play with this. It does sell a lot of books, but why do you think why is an easier conversation or an easier thought maybe? I think that why is an easier – I just – for me, I think that – the idea of money has been made so taboo in so many different situations. And it's the difference for me as I've gone from um, growing up in kind of this super small town to engaging with really high level, successful business owners and entrepreneurs. It's the difference between that separates those is who's willing to have an open conversation about money and who talks about it as a taboo subject. So I just think that why is easier to talk about because it's emotional and it's personal and it's something that's more well accepted because it doesn't separate people the same way conversations about money does. Okay. Good answer. And I I think, you know, to build on it, it's, it's a layering, right? It's easy to talk about why, because it can be quite ethereal. You don't have to own anything. You don't have to, you don't have to show up and measure your why, right? You can, you have to measure your leads, right? You have to measure your cash flow. And, and I think because it's a little bit easier and it's more ethereal that people then can gravitate towards it. As I said, it sells a lot of books, right? You know, I'm not a, a massive fan of, of the concept. So, I mean, I ask when I work with someone, and, you know, to be clear, I'm working with six and seven figure business owners that want to get to eight figures and usually want to kind of create that type of exit. Um, I ask them three questions, right? The first question is what we started this conversation with is what is, what is the life-changing number for you? Have you ever asked that question of yourself? Have you ever thought about if someone, you know, turned up one day or you opened up your bank account, you turned on the app, you logged in and you saw a number, right? What would that number need to be for you to go? Yes. Okay right? It changes everything for you. You know, it even could be the pathway to generational wealth. It could change your whole, your whole, you know, family line, right? Yeah. So that's the first question. Second question is where we bring why in. So what's your life changing number is one. 
Why does that number matter? Okay, so it's the second question. It's not the first question, right? And then the third question I often pose to people, which is the one that no one asks, is, is what you're doing now in your business and in your life to some extent going to get you there? Right? Is it going to get you to the number? And most people look at their businesses or look at their habits and their routines. You know, this is where mindset comes in to some extent. And they go, honestly, no, it's not. And so then right. you go into, what are you going to do about it? And then that, you know, I, I love that progression of conversations because then that puts them in this decision-making process of, is what I said I wanted worth changing the things that I'm doing now that aren't going to bring me there? Yeah. And that's brave as well. So again, even if you're an entrepreneur who's already, you know, or a person that's entered the world of entrepreneurship, uh, this is what I was trying to get across beforehand. It is a journey because it, it kind of, there's always going to be these these up points and low points of the roller coaster that you have to face. Like you might start a business and it might look successful. If you project forward to what you want that to be in the next 20 years and it's not going to get you to your outcome, what do you do? You stick doing it or do you, do you pivot and change? Yeah. Right? And that's it. So a lot of people, um, once they ask those powerful questions of themselves, do start to do things differently, not necessarily change everything, but they may have different strategies and tactics uh, that are going to allow them to get on a path that is going to create what they really want. Wow, that's super, super valuable information. I'm so excited that we we're able to dig into that. I think that um, we talked about the idea of mistakes and what's going through my head is the fact that you mentioned that you just have to make them. And I agree with you. The idea that if we knew what mistakes to avoid, we'd just make different ones. And then we would still end up making the same amount of mistakes. They'd just be higher level mistakes that we get to learn from. How do we shortcut the process then? How do we make sure that we're not just repeating the same things that we should have already learned from? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. It's not my 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 position on this is not that you have to you have to make every mistake that everyone else has made to learn. Uh, you have to be able to be clear on the stuff that is going to be accelerated versus the stuff that's just going to hit you, right? Because there are so many different things that can change and challenge you in 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 the sort of the journey of business ownership. Going back to that conversation we were having at the beginning of this to. You know, what would the world of personal development or business be like if Evan had decided that this just wasn't for him and he was going to call it quits because nobody was listening? Like, I, I can't imagine a social media or business or mindset that doesn't have a conversation about Evan Carmichael in it. No. And, and if you understand why he did what he did and how, and you know, his story is an interesting one because he he will self-admit that he wasn't great, right? Didn't feel comfortable talking. There was a lot of um, self-confidence things there. And then he sort of hired someone to help him with it, right? So it comes back to the coaching mentoring. And that person just, you know, changed everything. And he talks about it like saying, you know, he had to practice days and days and days of getting better at it. Yeah. So it's that whole famous saying about, you know, you get rewarded in public for the hours that you put in practice, right? That, yes. Again, I'm, I'm very good at bastardizing quotes, but something like that. <laughs> hey, it's, it's what we're all about. <laughs> One of my favorite books is Steal Like an Artist, and it made me feel okay with taking things. Have you read that yet, by the way? No, I haven't. But I, I think everyone does. Don't they? Like, I love yeah. Tony Robbins, as I mentioned, but Tony Robbins is basically just doing Jim Rohn stuff with his own yeah. style. And I often say that I just curate yeah. <laughs> with, with a no. perspective. 
And that's exactly what the whole book is about is your own style, right? And so he takes all of these amazing current artistic pieces and traces them back to like 16th, 15th century oh, really? art and then ties that into business world. It's so amazing. So I'm sure it goes back to some cave paintings as well. Yes, I'm sure it does. Like the the idea is, and I think this is super important for people who are starting any type of content strategy, that there really isn't an original thought. Like somebody's had it. You might not have heard it, but somebody's had it. It's your experiences and who you are and your identity and and your DNA that allows you to put that spin on it that is going to make it special. Yeah, you can overthink this stuff. So I'm not the first person to blend personal development <laughs> and business, but the way that I do it or the way that I think about it, um, you know, resonates with, you know, my tribe, right? The people. Yeah. And, and you know, as I said, you're 100% right what you said as well, Amber. Don't worry. I didn't, I don't worry about the numbers. In fact, I don't look at them anymore. My team tells me what they are, but I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't build it. I always record a podcast or do a piece of content for one person. And mm -hmm. the view is if it helps one person, then it was worth doing. Um, yep. and that's the best way to approach it. 100% agree. So before we switch to the success element, and this may actually tie into it, I just have to have this, this, um, endurance conversation with you. So <laughs> you had your grandfather that you said that was an endurance runner, marathon yep. runner. Um, and then you got into it through your mentor. Why? I think we all get asked this from anybody who doesn't understand why choose to do this. What could possibly be going on in your mind that you think, man, this sounds like a good idea. Well, I, again, I don't know your full story, Amber, but there's probably some, some linkages here. Uh, when I was in the world of corporate, um, I was doing it for various reasons. And I think it was more to impress upon my grandfather, a, a, a success a picture of success because you know he had lots of challenges after he um, had that heart surgery you know he was a very successful business person for a while but after he had the heart problems he had two heart attacks in the end in his mm. 40s um he was told he had to go and do something else less stressful right so yeah. he ended up he, i think he he felt he never realized his true potential and then he started to sort of impress that on me um and the success that i had in business was always something that i think motivated him but what I realized um, is that that really wasn't my calling. What I'm doing now is my mission. What I do now feels very congruent with my values. So I started the running for two reasons, actually. One was to connect with him. So I started running after he passed away. So he ended up passing away in his 70s uh, of cancer. So nothing to do with the heart, which is you know, in itself quite crazy. Um, and there was also me running away from the reality that I'd created for myself. Mm. You know, cause yeah. I didn't like it. I kept getting promoted. Like I got promoted to like crazy positions in business really young. And then I started getting sacked because I used to tell people to get, well, get stuffed. I won't swear on this. Um, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, um, and I was having this massive inner conflict. I was making a lot of money, but I hated myself and all this stuff. So I ran right a little bit like Forrest Gump <laughs> and, and I would go out there and do these. Like, I used to run a marathon. Like the, the marathons that I mentioned, the 67, that's competitive, right? I did a marathon every Sunday for years. Wow. Just get up at five in the morning and run for a few hours, right? And um, what was good about it, though, that I, I did it to run away from emotions, I think, and not face up to the reality of what was going on. But what I learned from it, which is the gift, is incredible amounts of inner strength, right, and mindset. Nick, thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been great, Eva. Thank you very much. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. If anything that was said during this episode resonated with you or provided value in any way, it would mean the world to me if you would head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the More Than Corporate Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. I'm really looking forward to connecting with you. If you'd also like to connect, I've created a Facebook group that is full of amazing people who also make it their mission to live their best life every single day. If that sounds like something that you're interested in, the name of that Facebook group is Success Center. Head over there, request to join, and I look forward to connecting with you soon.